Welcome to the Workplace Forward Podcast with your host, Executive Coach Tegan Travato, founder and CEO of Bright Arrow Coaching. Are you a perpetually busy, always overstretched leader or executive who feels there's never time to keep up with leadership trends in an always changing landscape, much less self-care? Workplace Forward will help you overcome both challenges and gain peace of mind. Through Tegan's conversations with executives, experts, authors, and innovators about their leadership journeys, you'll get quick hits of two things you need the most, essential insights to help navigate the future workplace, and best practices on the more human side of leadership, so you're empowered to take care of yourself while leading others. Enjoy some well-deserved time for yourself to learn and recharge. Let's get started with today's guest. Tegan, take it away. Liesl Mertes is an acclaimed workplace empathy expert. Having experienced her own loss and struggle, Liesl emerged with a deep understanding of what employees need to feel supported at work after a disruptive life event. As the founder of Handle with Care, Liesl works with groups that want to boost employee engagement as well as attract and retain better talent. Liesl works with companies spanning across industry. Her favorite clients are forward-thinking organizations who know the value of supporting their employees with empathy and compassion. While her expertise is broad, loss, returning to work, cultivating resilience, compassion fatigue, and how empathy impacts the brain, and no disruption is considered less significant. On these topics, Liesl is a dedicated speaker, writer, consultant, and host of the Handle with Care podcast. She earned her bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in business administration. She's worked in Nairobi, consulted in Fiji, and led cohorts in Ghana. Her favorite adventures brought her to Indiana, where she's a proud mother, wife, and lover of time spent on the water. Through her actionable strategies, real-life stories, and passionate commitment, Liesl helps people survive, stabilize, and thrive in the aftermath of adversity. And this is why we are excited to welcome you, Liesl, today to the Workplace Forward podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Yeah. To kick things off, let's set the stage with the foundation of what empathy is. So tell us, what is empathy? And then also, how is it different from compassion? Because we often hear the two confused. Yes. Well, it's a great question. Empathy, I'll get to the definition, but empathy, let me just frame it as it's really important for surviving the world that we find ourselves in right now, where Mm. we are faced and our people are faced with this cascade of disruptive life events. Some of them are shared. We are all going through a pandemic together. Some of them are vastly different. You know, people have had parents die. They have had long quarantines. They have had Mm -hmm. relationships fall apart. And empathy helps to bridge that gap because lots of times we feel intuitively we can connect with people who we have shared experiences with. Mm -hmm. But empathy is not about shared experiences. Dr. Brene Brown talks about how empathy is about sharing the emotions that underpin the experience. And Mm. I find that to be really helpful because it's a way for people to be able to connect. Again, not to think like, oh, now I understand everything that you've gone through. But if you think, I haven't experienced having a parent die. I don't know what it's like. I'll never know what it's like. All of those mental pivots draw us away from people. Whereas Mm. empathy, trying to get closer to the emotions that underpin the experience, instead considering what they might be feeling which is an act of imagination, to say they might be feeling sad or overwhelmed or lonely. And we all have felt those things. 
And we can know what has been helpful and not helpful in those situations. So it's that movement of getting us closer to the experience. And as to the second part of your question, the distinction between compassion and empathy, there are some people that feel like that is a very important distinction. They really mm. want the, the terms to be clear. I think that we are underpracticed in both. Sure. And it's yeah. important to talk about each of them. Empathy is identifying with the feelings, the experience. It should lead to compassion. Compassion is the gestures towards people based on our you know, minds, hearts, feelings being stirred in their direction. I say within my sessions, empathy should always lead to action. If it's just a, a mental or an emotional exercise that doesn't go anywhere else, if it doesn't lead into compassion, we're not teaching or practicing it fully. So mm -hmm. I think they're definitely related. And for some people, that's a very meaningful distinction. I think, hey, if we're talking whether we name it empathy or compassion, it is necessary in our world and workplaces today. Yeah. Wonderful. Great distinction. What comes up for me too is we can practice empathy more broadly with people. And we think about politically, socially, things that we are all very polarized about right now. Empathy is a great practice to try. It may not always lead us to action like compassion would, right? Mm -hmm. So there for me is a small distinction, but certainly in the workplace, I like the thinking of practice empathy and let it lead you to compassion, that place of action, because we do need that at work for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Why is it so important in the workplace right now? Take us through the journey of the leader and and why leaders need to have this. Can we call it a skill? Can empathy be yes. a skill? Okay. We should call, it, call a it a skill because all too often we name it as a like a, a fixed personality trait. Mm. I think in many places that I find we're used to talking about like, well, you know, Susan is really empathetic and George in sales just isn't. And we see it as like some people have it, some people don't, and mm. we shrug our shoulders instead Great of seeing point. it. Yeah, like so many things that we teach and equip our people for in the workplace. Like if we believe it affects our people and our bottom line, and it does, we'll get to that in answering your question, mm -hmm. we would see it as something to skill our people up in as a competency that, yes, some people are more advanced on the spectrum, but everybody can grow in this. Why is it important? Well, it's really important. And let me come at that by some common objections that I hear, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's in like my selling process or my pre and post session surveys. There are a couple of themes that get to the importance. One, a first question that can come up is really, okay, this sounds good, but does it really affect my bottom line? Like, does it get to the business of business or is it just something that we're doing for PR or because it's of the moment? Really, it does affect your bottom line. And the, the social science data points keep coming out to support that. Um, yeah. Whether that is a Harvard Business Study Review article that just came out that was talking about like how it links, you know, to a decrease in work absences, to an increase in um, just overall work-life balance and thriving. It is related to what your people want. It affects your productivity because it deals with the stickiness of how you're able to attract and retain talent. Mm -hmm. Business Solver is doing great work around this in their Empathy at Work survey. And the 2020 numbers were, it was 82% said that they would switch jobs for increased empathy. 76% wow. of respondents directly linked it to their productivity, whether it was there or not. When the executive team was surveyed in these various companies, only 50% of them agreed, which is this widening gap between like what people want and what leadership thinks that they want. Even in the language of surviving, stabilizing, and thriving, 
if we were to get into some of the brain science of this, empathy, seeing somebody else's overwhelm or their sense of calm actually affects a part of our brain called the mirror neurons that mm-hmm. when we're when we're stressed out, the interaction between our, our lower brain, our fight and flight, and our cognitive brain that allows us to write pleasant emails and deal well with clients, like that free flow of information is inhibited. We are in survival mode when we're yeah. going through a disruptive life event. And actually at the level of brain science, how empathy helps people get back to being able to do business is empathy mm-hmm. and somebody else's calm, their mm-hmm. identification, their ability to say, you know what, I believe in you and I'm here for you actually activates, like even just seeing and experiencing that activates a part of our brain that helps that free flow of information. Like it helps our whole brain to get back online. Um, wow. And you don't have to believe me. This is the scientists that watch, you know, the primates hooked up and they've seen it in people. <laughs> right. Like actually at the very fundamental level of our physiology, mm-hmm. if you want your people to still be able to do their work in the midst of COVID, Grow in your capacity for empathy because the reality is we can't just stuff these things or make them go away or say, you know, you just have to keep persevering and pushing through. We do have to do some measure of that. But really what will help your people most is being able to come alongside them with some empathy. Yeah. As you're talking about this, and and we have naturally framed this, which is appropriate for this podcast and the work you do, as how leaders can be more empathetic and why that's important. And as we're talking about it, what keeps coming up for me is, my gosh, how much leaders need a little empathy reciprocated to them. Yes. This is such a challenging time to be a leader. It has been now for years, always was. Now it's just exponentially more difficult. If leaders can model this, they'll naturally receive it back because people will try the same thing for them. Right. Yes. So I just want to put that little punctuation point in there because we're going to continue to talk about why this is important for leaders to model. And my heart is just like, oh gosh, I want this for my leaders that I coach so badly. I want them to be seen and I want their people to empathize with their struggles as a leader through these times as well. Yes. Well, and that's some of the good work that makes your coaches so successful and why people come to good coaching and why mm-hmm. they need it. And mm-hmm. it's not just in the workplace, it's in our human yeah. relationships. And empathy, you know, this is another part of the training that I do about like boundaries and change in compassion fatigue. Like mm-hmm. empathy does, it takes a level of attention and care. It is rarely going to come at some convenient moment where like you have everything has been Zen like and you've gotten 10 hours of sleep, your tea, (laughs) like it's going to come in busy days where you're overwhelmed. And it's part of that growth trajectory of people to say, Mm -hmm. like, it does take something. And because of that, I want to have people who can pour this into my life. And if I don't, where can that come from and how can I be part of cultivating that in my environments more? So I'm not just always giving it but also receiving it because if the last two years has taught us anything, we know that those around us need it because we know that we have needed it too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the disruptive life events have evolved so much. We used to, a few years ago, be able to talk about the exceptions Mm -hmm. that would happen at work when someone, someone's spouse Mm -hmm. had cancer or they had cancer or a loved one passes or, but now this has touched Mm -hmm. all of us and disruptive life events can even include that the children's school closed for two weeks because of a COVID exposure. And now the kids are at home while you're trying to work and you literally cannot 
have them out of your site because they're too young, but you have to keep your work called, right? Like that is stressful. And the workplace trauma, which can include things like layoffs, there's trauma even at work. So it's not just struggling at home, right? Even our workplace can be traumatic, which workplace psychologists include things like layoffs or org changes and change fatigue. So we, to your point, we all need it. Yeah. And and let Mm -hmm. me layer on to in my sessions, I'll use the language of disruptive life events. I also Mm. talk about how we have all experienced grief this year. And oh, have we ever? Yeah, the year previous. And that's that's a word that classically we attach to people in black and funerals. And it certainly applies when people die. Mm -hmm. But I'll put up a slide that talks about grief as unrealized expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we use Mm -hmm. that, when people start talking about that, you know, whether that was for me, sending off my baby who is a kindergartner and knowing that like kindergarten was going to be so different and he wasn't going to hold hands and he wasn't going to play red rover, which was never a great game because people broke their arms (laughs) in that. But um, (sighs) all of the things, and it's not just one, it's that cascade of reckoning with this pile of unrealized expectations that it's almost like the exhalation of being like, that is a grief. That's why it's taking its toll. And and I have to quickly encourage people and even listeners right now, like sometimes people begin to tip over to naming their grief, but they automatically backpedal and they think, oh, it's not that bad. It could be worse. You know, it could be. And that distancing doesn't allow us to to actually reckon with the fullness. Like comparative grief is always a dead end street for whatever Mm -hmm, is coming to mm -hmm. mind. It did cause you grief and it does. And you don't have to be stuck in that, but just to be able to name it and allow it its weight is something that I want to equip people to be able to do for other people, like not to be second. Like, was that really sad? Are you really going through? Just be able to say, if it was hard for you, it was hard. Right. And let's work on helping you stabilize and return to thriving. So yeah. whatever comes to mind, it was a grief for you. Right. And it's important to give that space to breathe. I'm curious as you're working with clients or individually or teams on this topic, since empathy is about us trying to connect with the emotions others are experiencing, how well are you finding people are able to even identify emotions? Let's forget accuracy because that's a whole other level of emotion, right? But talk to me a little bit about that discovery process with clients for them to even acknowledge, oh, this is an emotional experience, much less be able to name what the emotion is accurately. So talk about that a little bit. That is a great question. It's a whole session in and of itself to talk about it. There, I'm sure. There's a handful yeah. of people who, perhaps because of the work they've done in counseling, perhaps because of their personality disposition, like they have a wide vocabulary of emotions. They can identify them you know, easily within themselves. Many of us are not at that evolved place of mm-hmm. knowing and naming our emotions. Right. Let's start with, especially in the workplace, the basic realization, there's a very small handful of emotions that we feel like we are allowed to feel at work. Authorized. Yes. Uh You can definitely feel happy. That's what we expect. How are you doing? I'm great. How about you? You can feel very, very occasionally sad, but you need Mm -hmm. to quickly get over it. And frankly, you know, especially white men are allowed to be angry. Um, Yes. Very few other people are. And There's studies on this, by the way. Yeah. So Lisa was speaking through some science. Yep. I read yes. it too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's a very limited range. Yeah. So what does it mean to actually consider what emotions are going on? It is helpful in our interactions because sometimes we are 
functioning out of an emotional place. And if we don't realize like, oh, I'm actually very frustrated right now. That's mm-hmm. why I want to snap at that person for being, you know, two days late on the delay. I'm super frustrated right now. It helps inform our interactions better, like to get to more of this fluency. How do people do it? Uh, there are a number of ways. For me, even though I teach empathy, I'm great at picking up other people's emotions. I am way underdeveloped in paying attention to my own before mm. they have like flooded me. So mm. I have a visual reminder. We put it up in the house during COVID. It is a concentric circles. It names all kinds of emotions stemming from a core of five of them. Mm-hmm. You can look like the children do it. I do it. It's a great visual reminder to really just, I mean, this is what they do in elementary school classrooms with all the faces on the wall to be able to say like, maybe you're discouraged, maybe Mm -hmm. you're resigned, maybe you're hopeful. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I do with people is to to pay attention to their bodies. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't have like a concept emotion in mind, but our bodies are truth tellers that we can start paying attention to some of our our bodily tells. Like for me, when I am because I'm great at persevering. I am very good at just barreling onward to get a job done, which Mm -hmm. serves me until it doesn't. But when I know I'm doing it, I feel it in my my neck and my shoulders. I'll be like, oh my gosh, I am so uncomfortable. Like I'm aching because I've been like, my body has literally been tensing and holding it there. That's why we have so many turns of phrase. Like I'm, I'm sick at heart. You know, I feel, oh, yeah. I feel queasy. I'm sick to my stomach. Like even mm-hmm. our language represents that. Right. So even helping people be able to pay attention, like, okay, in the course of your day, when, when are you starting to feel your body and what might that be telling you mm-hmm. um, is a great way. And a, and a final thing, like the people that you live closely with or work closely with, if you want to have like a vulnerable conversation you can start asking them about the emotions that they perceive from you in different mm-hmm. meetings. Um, and that that can be a great leading indicator as well. As long as you're truly open to hearing the answer and we are not arguing Do with not them about the feedback exactly. you asked. Yes. <laughs> right. It's not to be taken lightly and you should do it at a only moment with where trusted you're not folks. emotionally flooded yes. because that only leads to uh, more flooding. Yes. Thank you for that. You mentioned in school, we give children these tools to identify their emotions. I will share that even some executives in their 60s that I'm working with are like, can you send me the feeling wheel you mentioned? Right. So the feeling wheel is very much what you're talking about. There's the four or five core emotions, but then there's dozens of emotions that are related to each of those core emotions. And I'm finding the last couple of years, I have been sharing that resource a lot in my work as well. And yes. likewise, with you, with you saying you've got your own work there, so do I. I mean, we wouldn't be very good coaches if we weren't aware of our own journey with emotions. But I've personally found it so enriching to keep revisiting that through my clients, also for myself, because to your point, then we can see what's happening for others so much more easily. Yes. Right? And also, as you've talked about some of the struggles folks around us may be experiencing at work they may not yet know what they're feeling because they're in a time of crisis. So I love that you're talking about, we have to imagine they must be so sad or they must be so angry. When we're in a traumatic state or a very stressed state, we may not be in touch with that yet. So it's really helpful when the people around us are anticipating, you know, connecting with us or serving us uh, by being able to see about us what we can't see for ourselves yet in the stressful time. And then in that, 
being able to extend to people a gentle place to land yes. because they're, they're, you're not at your best self when you're stressed out. And sometimes mm-hmm. in beginning this work, people will think, okay, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to ask them how they're doing. And then they think, but they didn't want to tell me they didn't even respond. You know, that the person yeah. who is trying to practice empathy in a sideways way makes it about themselves again. Well, right. I wanted a response. I wanted to feel good about myself for being mm-hmm. an empathetic person. And you didn't reflect that back to me mm-hmm. instead of being like, you know what? The important thing is that you display that care, whether mm-hmm. they want to take you up on it in that moment or not that you, and especially like that you are in it for, you know, like for the journey you, you can right. offer once they might not take you up on it, put mm-hmm. it in your calendar. If you're their mm-hmm. boss to check in again the next week and just to have that consistency. And even as I say that, that can be hard to do, but it's really being able to, con- like I had a situation to practice empathy recently where actually the person that I was needing to give it to, they had hurt my feelings just the day before. And I didn't think that they were doing this thing. And just to be like, you know what? I can do my own work on whatever yeah. this is like bringing about in me, I don't have to reflect it back to them. Right. I want to just be about like, they've got way more going on and I have other support systems. I don't mm-hmm. have to like bring it to bear on them right now. Yes. Beautiful point. You kind of brought up a good point of what might get in the way when we're trying to demonstrate empathy. So one of those being sort of our own emotional state and maybe a recent experience we had with someone What else do you observe getting in the way of leaders and teams demonstrating empathy well? Yeah, that's a great question. I like to teach this through the lens of what I call empathy avatars, which are like Mm -hmm. sticky, memorable ways to look at what we have in our empathy toolkits. Mm -hmm. Because we we all come to this given moment, at whatever moment you're listening to this podcast, with a certain set of tools in our toolkit. And the question is... Are they serving us well or do we need to put better tools in? And those tools are conditioned by life experience, by bent of personality. Like you might unconsciously, you're just doing it. You're saying the same thing that somebody said to you when you were eight years old at your grandmother's funeral, which was just tomorrow's another day and we just got to keep on keeping on. And because, Mm -hmm. because these situations are hard, they're freighted, they normally are tied to some emotional trauma on our point. Like we don't want to revisit them. So we just find ourselves. Yeah. We avoid it. We're Mm -hmm. acting against that. We're embracing it. We're not bringing like attention to it. So there are some default postures that I find people easily fall into. You cannot practice empathy because you are so focused on like you're a positive person. You bring a lot of positive energy to the workplace and you fear that engaging with this is going to pull the other person down. They'll never get out of it. It will sideline productivity. You'll never. And so you find yourself being a cheer up Cheryl, mm-hmm. which you know <laughs> just wants to like give out a platitude. You want the other person to be better. Like you're, you're almost forcing them to be, and that inhibits connection or out of that same place, you might be a joking Julie, sometimes mm-hmm. termed a jackass Jared. If you want a little bit spicier <laughs> language, which is you're just you like spicy gonna, language on this podcast. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> you know jackass Jared is gonna make a joke about their experience or about somebody else's. Like just this happens especially in male cohorts mm. of like, hey, we might name something hard, but we're instantly gonna pivot to why it's hilarious yeah. or sarcastic, and so that move actually communicates to the other person like you can't hold this with me right and i'm i'm probably not going to tell you again mm-hmm. um you know another thing that can get in the way is 
especially like there's an overriding ethos, but also a personal manifestation within the workplace of like, if we start doing this, we're never going to stop. Like we'll never get back to work. If Mm. I give space for this, is it going to just be a Pandora's box? And then I'm going to have to be a counselor and I'm not a trained counselor. As a side note, you don't and should not be that. You should have a basic set of skills to help stabilize someone to whatever next level of care they might need, or they Mm -hmm. might just need that basic care. But that can manifest itself in like a a buck up Bobby energy. And this this is really a prevailing mindset of an older generation, which was like, home is for home, work is for work. We just have to keep on keeping on. Like, we have no time for this. If somebody tells you something hard, you will shut them down and be Mm -hmm. like, you know what? We've got a meeting and we'll talk about that offline, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I, I have, there's about five others that can really get in the way, but learning where we are disposed to go. You might be a commiserating Candace, always with your own story, which feels like hijacking the conversation. You know, somebody tells you and you're a verbal connector and you think that that'll be helpful, but suddenly it's all about you. This happens especially to minorities in the workplace when Mm. they share about disruption. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and the more more I teach this, I used to think I was just one or two of these manifestations. Um, I can be all of them, but- I know when I'm slipping into that, now I can see the signs and be like, I'm being a fix it Frank right now. I know that doesn't serve me. Mm-hmm. What do I need to incorporate differently? Yeah. I will tell listeners, I took Liesl's training out of a place of, I'm modeling empathy a lot as an executive coach. What might I not know? Like, how can I tune this muscle up right now? Because I think it was, was it last year I took it or earlier this year? Uh, time, not, time is a construct. Oh, the knows? last two years has <laughs> just been one big year. I don't even know anymore. It was it, it um, was during the pandemic. It sir, well, yeah, it sure was. <laughs> so I just want to share with listeners. Well, I was lucky to get on a cohort of mixed company from all kinds of different organizations. I know you go in and do this inside of organizations most often, but I learned a ton. And I identify with what you're saying about you could be all of those avatars. I certainly became aware of that for myself, uh, which allows me now to check in. I'm like, okay, I'm hearing something that touches my own pain. I've been through that too, but that's not what this is about. How do I transcend that and really make it about them? And I think one of my, I just for sure am better at demonstrating empathy for people in my work and personal life in terms of just taking an action. You know, I think one of the things I realized after taking your training is I was always good at like offering support. Hey, let me know what I can do. Checking back in. Hey, what else do you need right now? And what I learned through this training was sometimes we need to take a run at guessing what they need and offering that up because when people are in times of distress, they can't think about that. They don't need another thing to iron out details for, right? So I'm better about just sending the the DoorDash gift card or sending over the food and saying, is Tuesday a good night? I'm sending you dinner instead of saying, what can I do? What can I do? So that was such an upgrade for me and, and the people around me. So I thank you for that. And that's just scratching the surface because now I've got these avatars in my mind when I'm working with leaders about helping them also identify where their empathy can use some shoring up. So highly recommend the experience. And thank you, Liesl. It was really a wonderful upgrade for me. So I appreciate it. Loved having you as a part of that group. And a big goal of the work that I do, it's conceptual, but Mm -hmm. if that doesn't lead to action, I'm not really being helpful. So so someone actually from that same cohort, I was able to touch base with within the last month and they described a group they were leading. They're naturally attuned, but they saw 
somebody in the group who just seemed uh, a little bit withdrawn. This was a group of leaders. And um, she said, you know, because of some of the conversations we had, I thought to myself, I, as a good leader, I'm going to check in and just mm-hmm. ask, hey, I, I noticed, is there anything going on? And and this participant said, well, today is actually the anniversary of a child's death in mm-hmm. my home. Um, mm-hmm. This person had had a, a teenage child who had died a couple of years previous, and they were marking yeah. the day. And mm-hmm. this this individual who was responding said, and I remembered what you said, that one of the best things in those situations is just to be able, you know, there's all kinds of places we go. Even if you don't know what to say, just to be able to say, that sounds so hard. So she said that. And then she offered the, would you like to tell me more right now? Yes. And and people might not always want to take you up on it. It's mm-hmm. not a demand. But a lot of times, especially in situations like that, somebody, you know, they have this like years of history that is coming to bear on their day. And she said, when I said, tell me more, she said, you wouldn't believe it. This woman, it was like, she said, so few people ever ask about her. And this woman mm. was able to hold a part of that story. And she said, now, like, it has deepened our relationship so much more. Mm-hmm. This woman said how meaningful it was. And and you think about it, like, that is not rocket science. We're just not conditioned to do that because mm-hmm. we hear and, and we freeze up and we think, oh, no, that's so crappy. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And just to even have that that basic, like, tell me more. And then to be available for whatever that person might want to give can be really beautiful. Yeah. It was awesome in the training to watch while we had to all practice these questions with each other in our real scenarios. And what I love, and I'll share this for for listeners, there really are just a core set of a few questions and gestures you can develop partly, you know, through this training or otherwise, so that you have your safe, like go-to it's an arsenal. It's an empathy arsenal. Like, you know what to do. There's three questions I'll always ask. There's three, three actions I'll always take. And I will tell you, Liesl, in coaching execs, the ones who are most loved are a vault for these things. To mm. your point, they are not being therapists. They know they're not qualified. They are not fielding multiple, you know, here's what happened to my family conversations every single week from their employees, but they are that soft space to land and the leaders have just created this perfect balance of i'm here for you my heart is open let's take some steps together today so you can go do your best work because often work is the safe place for people to go when they're yeah. struggling and they just need a one time or a couple conversations with someone who knows what they're doing from an empathy right. perspective and they're ready to go they're ready to move on right they feel held So what are some other tips you can give us to start practicing right away and incorporate more empathy into our leadership? Yes. Well, especially for those that are leading people, I'm going to give you two phrases to avoid and then something to just build into your calendar. You touched on it. Let me know what I can do to help. That is one that feels good and it is better than nothing. Even in giving these tips, let me just encourage you. Um, this is a little bit like like bumpers on a bowling alley. I want to keep you out of the gutter. It's not about being perfect. <laughs> perfect. That's great. I love it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, perfection is, is a construct that will hold you back. It's about getting mm-hmm. better in these things to be present, not perfect. But there are things that like, they're just our go-to phrases and they're less than helpful. So instead mm-hmm. of saying, let me know what I can do to help, to be able to, so in my sessions, I have like an empathy menu of typical ways. Like some people like to help through actions. They're the sort of people who 
they would say, hey, we've got that project coming up. Like, can I take this part of the deliverable and just do it for you? Or they'll buy you a gas card or things like that. There are people who are really good at being available. Like, if you want to talk about this, like, let's take a half hour walk. Or there are people who love to bake and they're really good. There are people who, they're great for like, hey, let's hang out for a movie night and you just don't have to think about it. But Mm -hmm. knowing in your personal and your professional life, some things that you can give in good faith and easily to be able to offer something specific. Because again, the vague offer, like we had an active COVID case in my house within Mm -hmm. the last couple of weeks, my husband and daughter. And there were lots of people who said, just let me know how I can help. Right. And it's just like somebody walks that line of like, I don't want to overburden you. Or what if I ask, but that actually seems too expensive. Like there's all kinds Mm -hmm. of reasons why that just feels exhausting and you never take them up on it. Mm -hmm. Another thing to avoid saying is don't say take all the time you need because you don't mean it. You don't (laughs) mean it. That's right. You don't mean that. You don't mean it. Mm -mm. You can't mean it. And actually it introduces ambiguity into a situation and puts the onus back on the other person. Mm -hmm. They know you don't mean it, but they don't know how far your intention stretches. So then they exist within like, can I take two days off? Can I take a week off? How often do I have to be back in touch? It is much better leadership to know how much time you can give 72 hours. Don't pick up a phone. Don't respond to an email. We'll touch base then and talk about next steps. Mm -hmm. That also buys you time to check with HR, Mm -hmm. to look at your workflow. And it shows that you're shepherding the relationship and it's not on the other person. Yeah. Another great thing to do is to start building your care and intention into your calendar. Anything that is important in your life shows up there. We all know it. And you can be a person of good intention right now, thinking about it, and a dozen other things are going to come to your plate, and it's going to be hard to remember. So you can pause right now. You can think about someone on your team or in your life who would benefit from a call or a text. You know, hey, I know this is a hard time for you. I just want to check in. See how you're doing. Tell you I'm thinking of you. Like it doesn't have to be prose or something magnificent. Mm-hmm. Just that intention. Um, if you're in person stopping by their desk, if you want to up your level, there are some key holidays that are always hard for people. Uh, right. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Keep a running calendar reminder. I do this of people that you want to reach out to just basically, you know, week before. Like this sort of care is why people stay at companies 10 years later. Because they say, wow, they remembered that from me and they reached out. Yeah, those are some really basic things to do. Avoid cliches. Really, you know, if you find yourself saying at least a lot, drop that phrase. I I had Mm -hmm. part of the reason I'm in this work is out of my own personal disruptive life events. I had a child die. Something that I would hear is at least you still have Ada and Magnus who are still alive, which was observably true. It was way better to only have one child dead than all three. Oh, God. Just hearing you say, put it all out there. It's just like, yeah, when you dissect it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's not foundationally super comforting. And that's like an extreme example. But anytime Mm -hmm. we're doing at least, a person is either concluding, you're forcing me to be somewhere where I'm not. Right. Therefore, I'm not going to share with you. Mm-hmm. And they just feel crappy. Yeah. So those are just a couple to consider. What strikes me is these might sound small, but they're so meaningful. And that's the entire point of empathy. We are not asking for backflips. It is a series of small things that make 
life-changing difference in someone's life personally, but in talent retention and in many culture and where people want to stay. And not high cost or high touch. Right. I know you're saying, but even like, here's another basic one, go to Target or get a box of your branded company stationery. Keep it in your desk with stamps. Not every person who has something hard happen is going to love a card. Mm-hmm. But if a card is meaningful to 65% of your people and it takes you a minute and a half to write and address it, it's worth just doing it every time. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. this is just what I do. Yeah. Because it, they're not high cost or high touch. Beautiful. I love it. Lisa, if listeners want to find out more about you or the training we've talked about today, where can they find you online? You should come to my website, which is www.lieselmurdis.com. Liesel is spelled like diesel, but with an L. That's an easy <laughs> mnemonic device. Mm-hmm. And there's a tab right on most pages to just schedule a free consultation. You can mm-hmm. see some of the great podcast interviews. Tegan was actually a guest in season two <laughs> of the podcast. It was so, so fun. I love hearing her voice <laughs> along with other leaders. It's a great resource. But yeah, love to talk, talk about options that would be a great fit. I'm also mm-hmm. on LinkedIn as Liesl Murtis and on Instagram as Liesl Joy. And if you go there, you'll see some occasional photos of my kids too. Gorgeous family, lovely family. I will make sure we put all of those ways we can reach you in the show notes for listeners as well. Oh. So thank you for that. One more thing it's worth yeah. noting. I'm, I'm also, I mean, I mentioned it. I'm the host of the Handle with Care yeah. Empathy at Work podcast, which is on Spotify, Google Play, some of your, you know, Apple podcasts. It's a great resource. Season one has people sharing a behind the scenes look at workplace disruption. What were they really feeling? What was the stupid thing that a coworker said that just devastated them for two weeks? Uh, What was really good that was transformative? Uh, Mm. It's the story you rarely get along a range of disruptive life experiences from alcoholism to suicide to miscarriage. Season two has a great lineup of leaders talking about how they cultivated this during COVID. So Mm -hmm. that's a great resource as well. Uh, It's great because my guests are so great and I'm along for the ride. I can really identify with that, my friend, as a podcast host. I'm a lifelong learner and podcasting is such a fabulous way to do that, right? It sounds like that's kind of where you're coming from as well. Super fun. 100%. So we'll include a link to that podcast as well. So thank you. So This podcast, the Workplace Forward podcast, as you know, Liesl, was created to discover what behaviors, practices, beliefs, and skills the future leader needs to possess so that they can successfully lead these systems we've talked about that are changing at warp speed, and they're going to continue changing at warp speed. So to get your read on what's required of future leaders, let's have you finish this sentence. Leaders of the future will practice empathy as a meaningful and integral part of the way they go about their workplace encounters. Mm, Perfect. You can make it shorter and just say, we'll keep perfecting the skill of empathy in how we use it. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's not just something to deploy for the good of your workplace. It will make you a better, more connected person. And especially for those who are committed to growth and connection, it's a vital skill set. And like Forbes just named it as the number one skill set that you need for 2022. So even wow. if you're only driven by an economic imperative, right? Forbes is telling you to develop it. Yeah. So if all of our main sources of info are saying empathy is a thing you need to have, 
maybe we should sit up and listen. (laughs) Well, it is the way forward for divided families, communities, workplaces. Mm -hmm. It's not just something touchy feely, like it actually brings us closer. I I do a whole session on empathy and hard conversations. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't fix everything. It does make us better in the process. Fantastic. Liesl, thank you so much for joining us today. It has truly been enlightening. I'm so excited for our listenership to have gotten this deeper dive than you can get anywhere else and the actionable items they can just take away and start practicing right now. So thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Workplace Forward podcast, where leaders and executives can stay ahead of the curve on emerging leadership ideas and self-care best practices. Guided by executive coach Tegan Travato and her expert guests. Please take 60 seconds to help others discover the Workplace Forward podcast by going to iTunes to subscribe, give five stars, and leave a comment. Want to learn more about Bright Arrow coaching and leadership development? Visit the website at www.brightarrowcoaching.com. See you next time. And while you're filling your team's cups, remember to take care of yourself too.